Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This, to me, is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Well, good morning, good morning. We are starting off with some good news this morning. I'm Jenna Ellis, and you're listening to Jenna Ellis in the Morning. My good friend and probably my favorite person in Congress, Representative Mike Johnson and the House Republican uh, Conference, have introduced a resolution condemning intimidation tactics of pro-abortion activists. Uh, This comes as the Republican majority Uh, is finally doing some good things. So I have Congressman Johnson with me today on the phone. Congressman, thank you so much for joining me this morning. And uh, this resolution, I think, is really important, and you're planning to introduce it today. So uh, what is this all about? Hey, Jenna, great to hear your voice, my friend. You're doing a great job. And uh, thanks for highlighting this. Um, It is good news. You know, there is a Republican majority in the House again, and we are turning things around. And we're beginning with uh, really some big statements about our top priorities. Our first day of Congress this week, we repealed the 87,000 IRS agents that the Biden administration tried to hoist upon working families and small businesses. Um, last night, we, or we established two uh, new select committees, one on the weaponization of the federal government, uh, which is going to be a must-see TV, I promise you, <laughs> and then uh, a, a select committee on uh, the threats from the Chinese Communist Party. Today, uh, House Concurrent Resolution Number 3 is one that, that I authored, and it's a bill now. I think we have over 130 uh, Republican co-sponsors on it. There'll be more uh, as we go to the floor. But this is a, a very simple, very important piece of legislation, because what we're doing today is condemning the attacks that have been committed against pro-life facilities and groups and churches in the, wakes of the, in the wake of the Dobbs uh, opinion. And, and also, we're calling upon the Biden administration to take action to bring the perpetrators to justice. We can't stand for violence and vandalism and intimidation and threats against people who are trying to help women uh, when they have uh, troubled pregnancies. And, and that's exactly what's happened. The federal government has done nothing about it. And it's time that we take a stand. This is a really great move, and I applaud you and commend you for this, and I hope that this will pass with a full Republican support. Do you expect any Democrats to go along with this and actually condemn uh, violence in this context? Yeah, it's a great question, Jenna. I certainly hope so. I mean, we got, I don't know the total number, but I think we had 150 or so Democrats join us on the resolution last night. Uh, to create the new select committee uh, about the Chinese threat, the, the threat from the, the Chinese Communist Party. So there are some reasonable people in the room, and hopefully um, they will join us on this one. Because, listen, regardless of where you are on the issue of legalized abortion, you ought to at least come along with us and condemn uh, the you know property destruction and, and, and death threats and all of that that's been made against uh, pro-life persons. Look, we live in America, and as you and I have discussed many times before, you know, Part of being in this country is respecting and living by the principles of, of free speech and the, the free exercise of religion and all of our fundamental rights. But, but because we have free speech here, um, we, we have the ability and, and we have the responsibility to, to, be, to listen to voices that we don't uh, always agree with, right? I mean, that's part of the, the price of free speech is that sometimes you're going to hear uh, positions and advocacy that you don't agree with. But it doesn't mean you could go tear their property down 
or, or threaten to kill them. And, you know, when, when the Supreme Court opinion in Dobbs reestablished the authority of individual states to prohibit the killing of unborn children, it sent some in the Democrat Party over the edge. I mean, these radical pro-abortion activists went off the deep end beginning last summer. We have over 100 instant incidences uh, where they've gone after and, and destroyed and vandalized churches and pro-life centers and, and pro-life organizations. It is, it is a blatant violation of federal and state law, and it needs to be prosecuted uh, vigorously so that we send a message that this is not who we are in America. Yeah, and that makes so much sense. And there was a, a lot of, I think, intentional misframing of the Dobbs decision and what that actually did uh, when that came out by the mainstream media and the liberal left that had been using just as a pretext to shut down the arguments of pro-lifers. Well, this is precedent. It's super precedent. It's magnificent precedent or whatever their their words mm-hmm. were to describe it. And really, all the Dobbs decision did was return the issue of abortion regulation back to the states so that the state legislatures could rightly and properly contemplate how they would deal with that issue. And so as you are in Congress, uh, one of the things that you once told me that I've never forgotten is that Congress is a team sport. And it is um, where you have to work with your colleagues from uh, not just within your conference, but on the other side of the aisle. And we're seeing so much contention and vitriol. And I think the mainstream media loves to amplify that because it's great TV. Um, But it actually did surprise me that there were a number of Democrats, quite a few, that voted for this select committee to hold China responsible and some other things. So when you're talking about some reasonable reasonable people across the aisle, uh, what can you expect as a leader of the Republican conference to genuinely get done in Congress um, with this select committee, with other legislation that would then have to pass through the Senate as well? Well, we have a real challenge. We have to be realistic about uh, the math, right? Because it, it is a team sport, and it's also a, about simple numbers, you know, that the vote counts. And so we have a very narrow majority in the House. It is a Republican majority, and we're going to use that. We're going to use that power to turn the ship of state around, and it's going to take some time because it is like the Titanic, right? Um, but with a, with a three or four vote margin on any vote, um, we, we don't have a lot of margin for error. So we're going to have to keep that team together, uh, pulling together and advancing legislation that not only fulfills our commitments to America, but, but sends a strong message about the contrast between the two diametrically opposed visions for this country, the Republican Party and today's Democratic Party. Um, and then it goes over to the Senate. And, you know, we don't have a majority in the Senate, and we certainly don't have the 60-vote uh, threshold that we will need for most substantive legislation. So the reality is a lot of what we pass through the House is not going to become law. If, if the Senate did pass some of it, and certainly we hope they will and will work towards that every single day, um, it's, it's likely that President Biden is not going to sign a lot of that legislation. So we have divided government. We're in that era. The best we can do is play vigorous defense against the president's agenda, stop the madness and the slide towards socialism, and advance you know, meaningful, common-sense legislation that shows America what we're for. You know, John Quincy Adams said one time, the duty is ours, the results are God's. We're going to do our responsibility here and and do our best, and then we're going to trust the rest of God. I think what it leads to ultimately, Jenna, as you and I know, is a, a, a massive uh, political contest for 2024. The White House is at issue again, of course, to control the Senate and our continued control of the House. And so we have to show the American people between now and then what we're for, where we're headed, what we're going to do. I think if we do that effectively, 
we're going to have a great election cycle uh, right ahead of us. Yeah, laying the groundwork to 2024 uh, is, I, I think, the right approach and that uh, sort of realistic expectation of what can be done. But resolutions like this that are specifically um, condemning uh, violence against uh, abortion uh, or rather pro um uh, you know, pro-life clinics and, and other things like this um, are really good measures that are really forming an equilibrium, I think, because for so long, and especially over the last two years, we've seen uh, the violence from uh, leftists that hasn't been condemned by the Democrats. And uh, and just seeing how all of this is working, I think a lot of conservatives have been very frustrated with the lack of accountability. And in just the um, the last like five minutes or so that I have with you, um, Congressman Mike Johnson, um, for those who aren't as familiar with you, and they should be, um, everyone should follow Congressman Mike Johnson on social media, follow um, all of your uh, media comments. I think it would be really encouraging for uh, the AFR family listeners um, to know your worldview perspective on our system of government and um, that you are a solid uh, faith-based Christian as a leader of the Republican conference. So even though this is a large question for the last five minutes, um, talk to me about your perspective of government and why we are um, founded as a Christian nation. <laughs> Thanks, Jenna. I do a five-hour seminar on that. So let me <laughs> yes, the highlights. I mean, look, the best way to summarize it is what G.K. Chesterton said one time. He was the famous uh, British statesman and philosopher, and he he said, you know, America is the only nation in the world that was founded upon a creed. He said the creed is listed with almost theological lucidity or clarity in the Declaration of Independence. You know, if you look at our nation's birth certificate, it says it all. The second paragraph, famously, we hold these truths to be self-evident. And Jenna, what is a self-evident truth? It's something you cannot not know. Why? Because God stamps it in your heart, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, not born equal, created equal by someone, right? We're, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. They're endowed by their Creator, God, with certain inalienable rights, the rights of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness among these. Look, our rights don't come from the state. They don't come from an earthly king. They come from the King of Kings. And that belief is what created, what started, sparked the American Revolution, what, uh, what empowered and enabled and, and, and encouraged us to break away from the tyranny of Great Britain and to found a nation based upon the principle that we are indeed one nation under God. But we have to remember right now, and you and I discuss this all the time, we're still an experiment in self-governance, right? There's no guarantee how long this is going to last. When the founders set it up, they said, you better be really careful, because if you're going to have a government of, by, and for the people themselves, you have to maintain some basic principles and foundations, one of which is the reminder that you are beneath God. It is one nation under God, truly, and by design, and that's the only way it's going to work. So you have to have, as Washington said in his farewell address, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are the indispensable supports. John Adams comes next. He says, look, our Constitution is made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. We have to remember that a vibrant expression of faith, a vibrant uh, defense of moral values and virtue, is not only good for individuals and families and communities in the country, it is essential for our survival. You cannot maintain a constitutional republic if you lose those principles and those foundations. And so I'm so grateful for AFR and the American Family Association, everybody involved. They've been doing that for decades in the trenches. When you and I were litigating cases, we would often uh, assist and, and help AFA and sometimes AFRs in, uh, for legal defense and counsel and all the rest. And, and I, I pray that in the days ahead, 
that they remain as, as uh, vigorous and engaged as they always have, because we're certainly, certainly going to need it. Absolutely. And thank you for that uh, wonderful overview and for your fight uh, in Congress, because um, I think so many people just see what's on the mainstream media and they see these uh, clips of the vitriol back and forth and sometimes get discouraged that there aren't good men and women in the highest offices. Uh, But to know that you are there as a solid Christian, um, as an attorney, as um, a husband and father, and someone who is fighting for the moral premises and the foundation of being under God that our country was built upon, and you're fighting in the halls of Congress every day is very encouraging. And I hope that everyone listening doesn't forget that, that even if you don't see these types of expressions in the media, every day. There are very good people, and I'm so grateful to know you, Congressman uh, Mike Johnson, and your fight, because this does matter to the country, and you are making a difference every day. And you have a podcast as well, so how can people continue to listen to you? Yeah, thanks a lot. My wife, Kelly, and I, you know, Kelly, we we do a, a weekly podcast called Truth Be Told with Mike and Kelly Johnson. It's on all the podcast platforms, or you can go to that website at mikeandkellyjohnson.com. Uh, and uh, we look every day. We unpack it. We do what you're doing, but uh, from inside the Capitol, we look at current events, political issues, the big news of the day, from a biblical perspective. And how are we supposed to think about that as believers? What are we supposed to do about it? And we're just kind of unpacking these insights every week. It's been a lot of fun. It's got a huge national audience. We're, we've been really blessed and honored by that. And that's wonderful. And so it's Mike and Kelly, and it's K E L L Y. Uh, So Mike and Kelly, yeah, uh, yeah, so Mike and Kelly. And so listen to that podcast. And I'm so grateful. Thank you for your friendship, your uh, mentorship of me. I mean, a lot of these uh, ideas and some of these things in my conversations with you have been uh, truly impactful on my ability to speak truth to everyone. So um, thank you for that. Thank you for what you're doing. And I will be praying and I know everyone will be praying uh, for the passage of that resolution. Keep up the good fight and God bless you. Thank you so much for coming on and look forward to many other conversations, Congress. Thank you. You got it. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks. And you are listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning, and we will be right back with your top headlines. And that was Congressman Mike Johnson, one of my favorite people. Please go and follow him at Rep Mike Johnson on social media. You will be very encouraged. We'll be right back. In this new world, on this new day, we rejoice that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. Preborn has been preparing for this moment for the past 16 years by positioning their clinics in the top six abortion states where 50% of abortions occur. Sadly, five of these six states will continue to abort babies at an even greater level. And since the abortion pill accounts for over 50% of abortions, babies are even more at risk. Preborn pregnancy clinics are completely dependent on you as they offer life-saving ultrasounds and the life-saving gospel to moms and babies in crisis. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. To learn how you can be a part of rescuing babies' lives and sharing the heart of Jesus, go to preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. 
If you are 65 or older, you know this. Watching your hard-earned dollars fly out the window on healthcare costs is so frustrating. But here's some great news. If you miss the December 7th deadline for open enrollment, it's not too late. Here's something that can really help. It's MetaShare 65+. plus. MetaShare is a community of Christians who share each other's healthcare bills. It's people who encourage and pray for each other, too. MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great way to fight inflation, too. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. Plus, it's easy. You can use any Medicare-approved doctor or get 24-7 telehealth access from the comfort of your home. So worth looking into. MediShare 65 Plus is open for enrollment. And if you join right now, before January 31st, your second month will be free. So don't miss this chance. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make a switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. There's big trouble at Kern Community College in California. A member of the Board of Trustees said people who push back against anti-racism and diversity training should be roped and taken to the slaughterhouse. John Corkins, the vice president of the board, was outraged over some faculty members opposed to diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. Several faculty members are part of the Renegade Institute for Liberty, a group at the college that promotes free speech. But leftists accused members of being racist and promoting hate speech. Some students said they suffered racial microaggressions. And yet, when pushed, neither students or other critics could provide actual examples of hate speech. Mr. Corkins later apologized to any conservatives who felt threatened or offended by his threat to take them to the slaughterhouse. A bovine microaggression. I'm Todd Starnes. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back, and I'm Jenna Ellis now with your top headlines. So the good news today is that the GOP drafts a resolution condemning violent attacks against pro-life clinics. So a group of over 100 Republicans has co-sponsored a House resolution to condemn the violence, vandalism, and intimidation by pro-choice groups following last year's unprecedented leak of the Supreme Court opinion overturning Roe v. Wade. Representative Mike Johnson from Louisiana joined by about 100 GOP co-sponsors, and they're adding, as we speak, announced the resolution Tuesday morning. They plan to bring that to the floor today. Representative Johnson was just on with me in the last segment, so if you missed that, always go to AFR.net and uh, listen to the podcast version of this radio show. Mike Johnson is one of my favorite people in Congress. He brings uh, such a rich biblical worldview perspective to his office, and that is so encouraging for us to remember that there are really good Christians who are still in government at 
the highest positions and working for the Lord. It's wonderful. So uh, Speaker McCarthy confirms that he will be removing several Democrats from committees. This is great news. He repeatedly promised over the last couple of years that when the GOP took control of the House, he would remove representatives Adam Schiff, Eric Swalwell, and Ilhan Omar from their respective committees. McCarthy has followed through on that promise. Interestingly, Representative Byron Donalds was on Joy Reid's MSNBC show last night, and this is what Representative Donalds had to say about that. With respect to Eric Swalwell and to uh, the other gentlemen, that's something for Speaker McCarthy to speak to in more detail because he's going to make those decisions. But we were very clear in the 117th Congress. We should not be going down this pathway of saying, oh, that member said this. They got to be kicked off of committees. But that that's is happening. Not, no, 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 no. Now, what we're doing is, so you did it. So, so now this is what happens. This is the response. Mm-hmm. Let's get back to the status quo of you pick your committee people, we'll pick ours, and we'll go from there. Well, let me ask you this, because that isn't, you're not getting back to that status quo. If you're kicking people off committees and you're saying it's literally for vengeance, you're now admitting it's just for revenge, that doesn't sound like getting back to the status quo. It sounds like using committee no, leadership no, no. You for want, vengeance, but that's wanna, what you just if said. If you want to change the rules, then we'll live by your rules. I don't think we should do that. But, but they're if you, doing But it. if you want to change the rules... Mm-hmm. That the House of Representatives has lived under since Mm -hmm. the beginning of the Republic. Mm -hmm. And now you're going to change them because you didn't like what somebody said. So that, of course, was the the back and forth in the exchange. And Joy Reid is the one that said, quote, it sounds like using the committee leadership for vengeance. Uh, unquote. And of course, she's trying to put words into uh, Representative Donald's mouth, and that's always the exchange on the fake news media. So of course, Representative Eric Swalwell then tweeted moments after the show, uh, quote, hashtag breaking, Representative Byron Donald's admits on the readout that Speaker McCarthy is kicking me, Adam Schiff, and Ilhan Omar off our committees purely out of vengeance. So this is why you can't just believe what people tweet or post or even say on social media. You always have to go back and look at what they actually said. So I pulled this clip last night and tweeted in response to Representative Swalwell saying, you know, look, we need to highlight that this was what Joy Reid said, not Byron Donald's response. So she may be characterizing this as, oh, you sound like you're just uh, using these committee assignments and removals for vengeance. But that is not what he said. And so this tweet from Eric Swalwell got over... uh, 29,000 likes, 4.3 million views just as of this morning. And it's completely fake. That's not at all what he said. And so Byron Donalds uh, took to Twitter as well. And he said, listen, I can't speak for Kevin McCarthy and uh, tried to clarify that. But this is what the leftists do. They will always twist and spin. And then they will use their friends in the mainstream media, like on MSNBC and CNN, to twist the truth. So we always, as Christians and as conservatives, have to be careful to go back to the source so that we are not believing just what anybody posts on the internet, including someone like Representative Swalwell. And from my perspective, there is more than enough reason to take these uh, Democrats off of committee assignments from their own conduct while in office. And so Swalwell being on the Intelligence Committee while allegedly having an affair with a Chinese spy, that is more than enough reason to question why he would have access uh, to the top secret and confidential information that he would receive on the Intelligence Committee. 
So for Speaker McCarthy, for any reason, uh, to want to reassign these committee positions is absolutely fair. And what Byron Donalds expressed to Joy Reid should be taken for what he actually said, not how Joy Reid is misinterpreting it and then how Eric Swalwell is spinning it. So the other uh, top headline this morning, of course, is that Joe Biden uh, has some confidential and classified documents that were found, about 10 of them, in his University of UPenn office while he was the sitting vice president um, at the so-called Biden think tank uh, at the University of Pennsylvania. And uh, my favorite part of this story is that Joe Biden has a think tank, which is the most ironic part of this story. I think that's a complete oxymoron to put Biden and think tank in the same sentence. But uh, the classified documents uh, story, of course, is getting a lot of headlines. And it came out in Fox News this morning that several top White House officials worked for Biden at his think tank where the classified documents were discovered. So Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, among several current administration officials who worked previously at the Penn-Biden Center, uh, were there. And so the trove of classified documents was recently found. And this, of course, is sparking a debate uh, not only about what um, the what happened in terms of the classified documents being stored at a, a non-classified, non-secure facility, but also uh, what classification and declassification authority a sitting vice president has compared to a sitting president. And of course, the Mar-a-Lago raid and what was in the news last August through uh, almost the, the end of midterms over this uh, entire story that the leftists and the Democrats are literally trying to make a felony indictment uh, over classified documents that were stored at a secure facility at Mar-a-Lago. So if we look at this in context, we always have to view the legal questions, but we also have to separate that from the political questions. And if you uh, view mainstream media on almost any channel, whether it's your CNNs and MSNBCs, or it's your Fox News and your Newsmax and your OANN, you're going to get a different political perspective based on a lot of commentary and whether or not the pundits tend to be Republicans or Democrats. That has nothing to do with the legal questions. So first and foremost, as conservatives and as constitutionalists, we can't treat Biden with uh, less uh, legal ability to be protected by the law than what we would prefer for President Trump, because no one is above the law, but no one is below the law either. And so if we have been advocating, which I have, that uh, the dispute at Mar-a-Lago was simply a records custodial document dispute, then we can't immediately condemn Joe Biden for basically the same conduct. Now, there are some differentiations, of course, uh, from a factual and legal perspective. He was not the sitting president. A president does have uh, declassification authority. He can declassify anything he wants at any time, but there is a process. And so whether or not that process was followed with respect to the Mar-a-Lago documents became and is an ongoing legal question. Of course, President Trump has said that he declassified everything, and he has said that he went through that process. And this is why uh, the team Trump at that point, um, and just to clarify, I was not working for the president at that time, so I have no other insider knowledge on any of this. Um, 
uh, but his then current attorneys that, uh, appealed to the court to appoint a special master in the case. And what that would do is take this out of the hands of the Department of Justice and say, we want an independent judge and referee to review all of the documents to make sure that there are no political biases. And that made a lot of sense. And ultimately, the judge in Florida did appoint a special master, which all of the Democrat pundits uh, yelled and they kicked and screamed about that. But now that Joe Biden finds himself in the exact same situation with these classified documents being found, now it will be very interesting to see what Merrick Garland as the sitting attorney general does, because he clearly has a conflict of interest with respect to President Trump, who is now a, uh, a candidate for the 2024 election. He wasn't back in August, but of course, everyone knew he was planning to announce. So, uh, so Merrick Garland is the sitting attorney general under a Democrat president as a Democrat appointee absolutely had a conflict of interest. So the special master appointment made sense. And so what is he going to do with respect to Joe Biden? Is he going to say, well, we're going to look at this and there's no appearance of bias? Or will he just unilaterally decide to appoint a special master or a special prosecutor? He is in a catch-22 here. So what I think is going to be very interesting as more facts and information come out about this story, we're going to see not only the disparity of how some uh, most Democrats and even some Republicans treat these two stories dissimilarly. But I think that the political questions are going to override the legal questions. And so as conservatives, we always need to focus first and foremost on the legal questions, and then we can get into the politics. Because most often, when we look at stories like this, and we look at the goings on in uh, Washington, it matters more to the mainstream media what the political optics are and the political theater rather than substantive fact and law. So as more comes out and we understand exactly what happened, was the process followed, uh, what authority does the sitting vice president have? Uh, there was, uh, to declassify documents, there was a an executive order back in 2003 from then President George W. Bush that allowed for a vice president to declassify under some circumstances if he had supervisory capacity or if it was within his office. So whether or not these documents uh, pertained to any of those uh, types of things that would be covered under that executive order, we still don't know. Uh, reports have suggested that the substance of these documents contained uh, issues surrounding China and Ukraine. That raises a lot more questions because the UPenn uh, university actually received donations from the Chinese Communist Party that was something like over 300% more than what an average American university receives from a foreign actor. So that raises a lot more questions, particularly when now you have this new oversight committee that Congressman Mike Johnson just referenced that even the Democrats are uh, for in terms of holding China accountable. Will they question any of these documents that Joe Biden stored at UPenn? Well, that's another question that I think would be perfectly appropriate for the committee. They need to start fact-finding. But what may end up being most interesting about this case and what uh, I am possibly foreshadowing in, in terms of a prediction 
is that if the Democrats decide that they don't want Joe Biden to run in 2024 and he doesn't willingly step down, they may use this instance as a pretext to force him out and thereby say, well, hey, we are treating Joe Biden and Donald Trump the same because we're going after both of them. And they may be setting this up as a way to not only uh, move Joe Biden out of the running for 2024, but hopefully the much, much, much bigger fish for them has always been Donald Trump. And we know that the Democrats uh, have this, you know, very uh, fundamentally evil system in my perspective, but uh, they just use people. And so one cog in their system is no different than anyone else. And so if they take out Joe Biden, they'll just immediately replace with another candidate. They are not ethical. They are not uh, in any way concerned about the rule of law. They always use and manipulate pretexts and they manipulate the rule of law and the Constitution to their advantage and their preferred outcome. So why would this be any different? This story, I think, is very important and also to look at how uh, the timing of this worked as well, because um, apparently at least six days prior to the November 2022 midterms were when these documents were discovered. Why did the American people not know this? If this had been Donald Trump, absolutely we would have known this going into midterms. So I'm frankly sick and tired of these secrets being kept from the American people until after we exercise our constitutionally protected right to vote or these so-called October surprises that come down to try to manipulate the voting uh, members of the country to shift their vote and to be anti-Republican, anti-conservative, like what we saw with all of the reports that came out in the October surprise that affected Herschel Walker in Georgia. Uh, Whether or not those stories are true, whether or not that was factual reporting, look, he, he didn't win. And so nobody is following up on that. Nobody cares anymore. All that they cared about was that those headlines had the impact of not allowing him to be in public office. And whether or not uh, those stories were the only reason, we don't know that. But certainly there was a lot of manipulation and influence by the mainstream media. So as conservatives, as Christians, we always need to take a step back and ask the question, what is the bias here? Why is this story coming out now? Why is the mainstream media focusing on this story, not that one? The news is curated for you. Depending on what the political preferences of a network, that will determine what stories you hear. And that's why you see these very cohesive talking points coming from all the Democrat leftist media and even some of the conservatives networks. So that's why we need to always be looking at the news for ourselves. And that's why you can always tune in to the Jenna Ellis show right here um, at Jenna Ellis in the morning, because I will give you the top trending headlines from a biblical perspective and what you actually need to know. So we'll be right back with more right after this. On the next Focus on the Family, Michelle Singletary discusses wise money management during the economic downturn. She'll help you with the basics of getting out of debt, budgeting, and saving when money is tight. It's Finances 101 with Michelle Singletary on the next Focus on the Family, hosted by Jim Daly. Focus on the Family is heard each weekday morning at 5 o'clock Central on American Family Radio.
God has pulled all the threads together and put us in his master tapestry so that we play a part in all that God is doing. Every single one of us is a thread or a part of that great tapestry that God is embroidering. Join Dr. David Jeremiah for his series, God Loves You, He Always Has, He Always Will, next time on Turning Point. 5.30 a.m. and 7 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Psalm 46 is a popular psalm as it includes the text, Be still and know that I am God. This was the conclusion to a psalm that previously observed, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. This described what looked like the end of the world. Nevertheless, the psalmist remained unshaken. He refused to allow present difficulty to cause him to forget God's past faithfulness. Virus or no virus, God is our refuge and strength. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Ever wanted to take a tour of somewhere you've always desired to see, but you didn't want to work at putting the whole thing together? Well, guess what? Problem solved. If you've been wanting to go to our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., but you don't want to have to map out everything and plan everything, we've got it all solved for you. Our spiritual heritage tours, all you got to do is show up and get on the bus and have a smile on your face. That's all you got to do. And the rest is taken care of. In June and September, we'll see our nation's capital together, believers and listeners from all over the country. The website for the dates, the cost, and everything you need to know about these two trips in June and September is spiritualheritagetours.com. Spiritualheritagetours.com. We also go to Colonial Williamsburg and Jamestown in September. Spiritualheritagetours.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. I'm Jenna Ellis and always uh, looking at news across the country that can ultimately affect you in every state uh, because a lot of these conflicts and uh, different legislative measures that start in one state will work their way up to the United States Supreme Court. And my home state of Colorado has been a breeding ground for a lot of these lawsuits like the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, the 303 Creative case, which is pending right now before the U.S. Supreme Court. And one of the cases that uh, is just in legislation right now, but will ultimately result in litigation if it is passed, is the so-called assault weapons ban. Of course, this is bad. Uh, this is something that violates fundamentally our constitutionally protected right to keep and bear arms. But thankfully, my friends at the Rocky Mountain Gun Owners uh, Lobby are working right now with their lawyers on a first draft of a lawsuit that if this legislation passes through, unfortunately, the Democrat majority in both houses, as well as the governor's office, they will be prepared to litigate. So uh, the executive director of the Rocky Mountain Gun Owners Association, Taylor Rhodes, joins me now. Taylor, thanks so much for your work on this. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, and I appreciate all your support over the past couple days. 
Absolutely. And, uh, you know, everyone can find Rocky Mountain Gun Owners. It's a great uh, page. It's at RMGO Colorado. And even if you don't live in Colorado, they provide a lot of great information and resources on Second Amendment protections. So, uh, Taylor, what is in this legislation and why is this so concerning to gun owners? Right. So on Saturday, we were given a unreleased leak draft of this bill, a, a uh, unlikely ally, I will say, handed it over, and it is crazy. So yesterday, Illinois passed an assault weapons ban. Uh, it was signed into law by their governor. Uh, of course, California has their assault weapons ban. This actually goes even further than both of those, because the, the thing about this bill is it doesn't just go after those weapons that are, you know, that uh, CNN normally calls an assault weapon, right? The, the AR-15 or the AK-47. That's not just what this bill is going after. This bill is actually going after bill after uh, many pistols and shotguns as well. And, of course, it does ban practically every semi-automatic uh, magazine-fed firearm. So it is like – it is possibly – uh, we think will be the worst assault weapons ban in the nation, um, frankly, because they have this light registration clause. Um, and unlike California's bill, they don't give you a method to modify uh, your weapon uh, to be able to keep it. Wow. And this is so crazy, but this is not atypical for Colorado, unfortunately, to be the forerunner of the most crazy liberal leftist legislation possible. Um, this is why we have seen so many lawsuits come out of the state of Colorado. So how are they defining assault weapon here? And how, Because that, as you said, is always a term that has been manipulated by the mainstream media. Uh, they clearly aren't gun owners themselves. They have no idea what they're talking about. So how does this legislation even even define that right so it it essentially talks about um how well there's a handful of different sections in the bill right so it first talks about uh the rifles and essentially anything with a pistol grip uh or a protruding grip that can be held by uh, a non-trigger hand um if it can if it can have a flash suppressor so like my glock 43x has a flash suppressor built into it this is a a fairly small pistol, uh, that would be considered an assault weapon under this bill. One of the things that it is really concerning is in the in the bill, it, it talks about a shroud attached to the barrel that either partially or completely uh, encircles the barrel. And essentially, it literally says, if your hand cannot be, if you can touch the barrel without your hand being burned, it is not an assault weapon, or it is an assault weapon, excuse me. Um, so it's, it is going further than even California, because in California's bill, of course, they've given us, you know, the the fins and all the stuff to add to the pistol grip. In this case, they're saying if you have a, a handguard on the front, front of a rifle, it is then a, a considered an assault weapon. So what would be left is, is just, frankly, hunting bolt guns. Um, I mean, many, uh, even pistols do have that shroud that covers uh, the barrel area. And of wow. course, shotguns as well. 
Yeah, and this is just so ridiculous. And I'm talking with Taylor Rhodes, who is the executive director of Rocky Mountain Gun Owners, about this uh, ridiculous legislation that uh, will be forthcoming in the state of Colorado that goes even further beyond uh, some of the legislation we've seen out of other states like California. And to say that these so-called assault weapons uh, in any way are even restrictive and constitutionally restrictive under the Second Amendment makes no sense. But that's what the liberal leftists and the Democrats have always attempted. So they're doing this under the pretext of saying that this will somehow result in lowering uh, mass shootings. And they even say that uh, in the summary of the bill, that the purpose of this is uh, to try to prevent mass shootings. But there's no support for that. And there's also no way that they can manufacture that so-called assault weapons that they define, that they arbitrarily term and deem assault weapons, are somehow allowed and to be constitutionally restricted under the Second Amendment. So how are they trying to get around that? And without obviously revealing um, some of your litigation strategy, uh, what is your perspective on the constitutionality of this and how do you plan to attack it? Right. So, you know, in bills like this, you always see, I'm just going to touch on a couple of the points that you made. On bills like this, you always see editorializing. Uh, Unfortunately, even the editorializing in this bill is wrong. They talk about 76% of the the weapons involved in in crimes are assault weapons with high-capacity magazines compared uh, to 44% of those that are involved with handguns. Uh, the DOJ actually says it's, it's more like uh, 77% were uh, committed with handguns, 25% committed with uh, those, those big, scary assault rifles. Um, so they're not even getting their facts right to begin with. Um, the second thing is our litigation strategy. So we've been fairly successful. Um, if, you're, if you're a gun activist and you followed, we were the first case post-Bruin in a small town of Superior, uh, Colorado, which is just south of Boulder, and they decided to pass their own um, assault weapons ban, and they actually passed a magazine ban that's even more restrictive than our current state magazine ban. So it was essentially about a month after they they had um, they had enacted that into law, we sued. Um, actually, a Obama appointed judge. Uh, granted us a temporary restraining order to stay uh, those those ordinances in the town of Superior. And then again in the town of Boulder, a Biden-appointed judge uh, granted us a stay. Um, those cases have, have now been uh, consolidated, uh, and those, those stays are still uh, in place. Uh, so we do have a history um, of suing under the most recent Bruin decision, and having and winning this. Look, the realities are in the Colorado legislature, they have a supermajority in the House. They have one seat, uh, one seat lack, lack of a supermajority in the in the Senate. We realize they're likely going to pass this. So actually, I received last night the first draft uh, of a would-be lawsuit, assuming the bill stays the same, which we probably know it will change a little bit. Uh, but it would be lawsuit uh, that we will file practically immediately after uh, this bill is signed into law. 
Well, this is a great work, and I'm talking with Taylor Rhodes, who is the executive director of Rocky Mountain Gun Owners. And it was interesting, uh, your Twitter page posted a poll yesterday that asked the question, what do you want to see defeated most? An assault weapons ban, expanding red flag uh, laws, 10-day waiting periods, or raising the age to purchase. And 63% out of almost 1,700 votes said assault weapons ban. And um, that makes a lot of sense to me because, um, you know, the the red flag laws came in at 26% uh, second to that. Those are very, very dangerous. I have not seen a red flag law anywhere in the country, uh, including Colorado's, that is remotely constitutional. These are pre-crime bills that will assume based on um, completely arbitrary notions of uh, red flags that may possibly concern someone that the court can come in and take away your right to keep and bear arms and you have to then prove your fitness to exercise a constitutionally protected right. So red flag laws, um, in my view, are always in any form that I have seen unconstitutional. But 63% of uh, the people who responded to your poll, Taylor, are saying that they want to see this assault weapons ban defeated in Colorado. What does that tell you about um, people in Colorado and across the country who understand their Second Amendment protections? So gun owners, not just in Colorado, but gun owners all around the country, you know, are frankly sick and tired of of having to fight for their, their constitutional rights. That's why, in my belief, We've seen so many states go to what we consider constitutional carry states, meaning that you're able, if you are able to own and possess a firearm, that you are legally allowed to uh, carry that firearm on your person without a permission slip for the gov- from the government. Um, so it's people are waking up in regards to in regards to their rights. I think after 2020. You know, you couldn't go into a gun shop without seeing a blue-haired Bernie bro in there trying to buy a, a pistol for their protection. They're realizing that, you know, the police may not be there to protect you, uh, that you you have to really take your, your, your self-defense into your own hands. And, you know, while we're talking about, you were just talking about red flag and the lack of due process, this bill actually contains that as well. So this bill actually requires... There is a small grandfather clause, but it does require you to keep, you know, records of when you purchased that firearm, uh, what, uh, uh, maintaining constant possession, keeping it locked up, even when it's in your vehicle and in transport. Uh, but it throws out due process because it, it adds that affirmative defense uh, that you maintain the records. You're guilty until proven innocent, effectively, to, to that peace officer that may stop you. Um, so that's, you know, just another uh, reason that this bill is just so insane. Wow. Well, Taylor Rhodes, thank you so much for joining me today. And if you want to get more information, go to rmgo.org. You can also follow the Rocky Mountain Gun Owners on social media. Thank you, Taylor, for all of your work. And of course, you know the National uh, NRA, there are a lot of organizations all across the country. There's probably a similar lobby in your state. Uh, but the point here is that we also, as citizens, need to make sure that we are involved in this process. So when this legislation comes to the floor in committee in Colorado, 
uh, people who are in Colorado can go and testify in front of the state legislature and point out exactly what Taylor is talking about, how the editorializing of the bill is not sufficient reason or rationale or legal basis to pass these kinds of restrictions. You can talk about uh, the lack of constitutionality, get that on the record. You can make a difference in your state through lobbying for your rights and telling these legislators that what they're doing is fundamentally unconstitutional and it's wrong. And so uh, we can't just rely on these organizations that do really great work. We can certainly donate to them. Um, We can help with their lawsuits by funding those, but we can't just rely on other parties and say, well, my rights are being foreclosed. What is anybody doing about it? The question is, what are you doing about it? Are you responsible to go and take your kids? Kids can go, if you're a homeschool family, take your kids and have a day at the Capitol. They can go and testify in front of the state legislature as well and talk about um, you know, what they think about all kinds of different bills. Be, uh, be on a list from whether it is um, an organization in your state or the uh, Republican conference, be on a list so that you are aware of what legislation is being passed in your state. These kinds of things are very important, and we also need to have Uh, well-reasoned arguments, not just, well, I want my guns. And that's what a lot of people ask. And they say, well, why do you as conservatives care so much about your guns? Why don't you care about gun control? We'll turn the question back on them and say, why are you trying to foreclose a constitutionally protected right that our founders in their wisdom specifically enumerated because they recognized how essential that was to preserve and protect liberty? That's the better question. And the more fundamental question that I answered um, actually in a piece for The Federalist, and this was a number of years ago, uh, back in February of 2018, the headline is, the gun control debate isn't really about guns, it's about human rights. And so you can go and just Google my name and uh, that headline in The Federalist or just, uh, you know, Jenna Ellis, um, Federalist Second Amendment. And I talk about this in the context of the Constitution and saying that the Second Amendment must be read in the entire uh, context of the law and acknowledgement in the Declaration that our rights are pre-political. Our government doesn't have rights. Our government has limited powers. There is no power for the state of Colorado or for any other state to foreclose our constitutionally protected rights in the manner that they're suggesting. So always be aware, always be informed, and I will join you tomorrow right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Have a really great day and also tune into my podcast at thejennaellisshow.com where we will be doing more deep dive interviews and you can find that again at thejennaellisshow.com. Have a wonderful morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.